say when, again, we just watched the third episode of season called Orphan 55. This one, they are going on a holiday. Um, they've got a group on deal. They get teleported to some place, quite exotic. Bit of a filler episode, I think. But towards what? Towards yeah, fuck knows. <laughs> um, and we've got a nice happy surprise. We've got uh, Laura Fraser in it, playing a sort of um, Ellen Ripley sort of character, sort of um, milf. With a gun. <laughs> Ellen Ripley combined with the sort of generic billionaires who fund the project that is the plot of Alien. Yeah, so like, who's what she's like um, created a butlands to try and uh, <laughs> to try and raise money to well to redeem herself to redeem herself. Yeah. Spoiler, yes. everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tranquility Spa. We didn't do introductions. We didn't do introductions. I'm Darawan. I'm Monet390. I'm Kate. Um, who am I again? I'm the, the ghost in the microphone. Welcome to the Tranquility Steam Room. Please leave immediately. I feel like um, this episode, on a second watch, I thought it was quite a seamless switching through reference after reference after reference, all in pursuit of this idea of redemption. Initially, my the first reference really is Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden when um, there's a worm not in an apple but in a vending machine. Very clever. A hopper worm mm. that brings original sin. That that is a very um, classic. Well, not that I guess it's become classic sort of sci-fi body horror, isn't it? The thing that leaps through your system and moves too quickly for you to stop, unless you have a doctor who can jump in and do first aid. Catch mm. in a crisp packet. Does that seamlessly or otherwise in any way connect to the fact that one of the characters is called Cain, as in Cain and Abel? Mm. I think it does. She has a bigger sin. Bad mum. Bad mum. Lots of parents and ancestors, predecessors, and and familial ties. Maybe like the book of Genesis, it was talking in very sort of um, non-literal, grand, sweeping allegorical terms, as well as fight, trying to cram into a, an actual story um, a lot of uh, trouble and strife about uh, orphans, obviously, parents, children, and uh, associated intergenerational grievances, as you um, alluded to. And like the Book of Genesis, there's loads of references to the Alien films. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Very much the get away from her without the you bitch. Mm. And gooey, gooey Gooey, with, with gums, yeah. matte teeth that come out. Saliva that doesn't corrode metal. There's, there's not, there is actually, actually it's thing. not their saliva, it's their blood. Their saliva just is all nasty. I, 
I didn't find the the dregs, the dregs of humanity that scary. Mm. No, they I, weren't. The design really was a bit off for me. Yeah, so I feel like we saw them close up in, as puppets, and then we saw them far off as CGI, but we never really saw them in the middle of this. It was very sort of <laughs> King Kong style CGI, the old fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> the way they looked, they looked a bit rubbery, didn't they? And of course, the nuclear winter burnt off their junk. Yeah, so, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Who needs consultations? Just need but. nuclear winter. <laughs> it's post-apocalypse for children. Before bedtime. <laughs> yeah, bedtime. Um, Seemed to splice a bit of H.G. Uh, Wells' time machine in there. And uh, Planet of the Apes, Planet obviously. Of the Apes. Massive mm-hmm. Planet of the Apes vibes. Spoilers, but um, it turned out it was Earth. Mm-hmm. Is that a spoiler? It wasn't just Earth as well, it was Siberia. I like that. I like th- but actually, genuinely, I think that moment, and maybe for lots of people watching this, they won't have seen Planet of the Apes if they're children or whatever, um, it probably was as powerful as the revelation in Planet of the Apes if for, for a Sunday tea time. Although, um, you, if, if it weren't Planet of the Apes, might have not guessed it before. I know I personally did. At what point did you guess it? When they said it was, it had nuclear winter, it was clear it was going to uh, be a, re- a whole, like, episode about climate change. I thought it was just going to be about gentrification gone wrong. It was like, um, we've got this kind of like bougie spa in a bleak place. That's very um, common. That, I'm sure that's happened in dozens of Doctor Who episodes before where the Doctor tries to take the companions on holiday. It made me think of Midnight where the Doctor and Donna visit a resort planet ostensibly to relax and the surface of the planet is also bathed in lethal radiation and the Doctor takes a uh, shuttle tour of the planet. Because he's bored of the of the resort, probably. Like, the Doctor not having anything to do, which I always think is always a funny moment when everyone was like, I have something to do, I'm just going to do a normal human thing, like have some cocktails. And the Doctor's like, I'm just going to look around on my own. It's almost like she's she's a little bit... Actually, that's not true. I don't think she's glad when it all turns into a horrible murderess. I think she's yeah. relieved. <laughs> I just assumed that she didn't really want to think about her uh, dead planet. Yes, and there was a so lot of that. It was a reminder, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, she did seem quite on edge at the end, didn't she? Mm. So, season-spanning or season-bestriding story arc-wise, there did seem to be, through a glass darkly at least, uh, and I think I saw this suggested in the in the Growniad write-up as well, an allusion to... Um, planetary devastation and that being an important thing but apart from that no developments no there was no development and lots of characters a lot going on really wasn't there i mean i think it was sort of odd how the every structurally i actually think it was a bit of a car crash of an episode i don't really understand what benny was about i think that it was just someone was like i would like a character to say benny yeah, I mean, that was Often. very funny. Sound like my Benny. <laughs> <laughs> sound like my Benny. <laughs> Monet, in the 1990s, yes. um, you said you were able to enjoy it the second time as a kind of tissue of illusions. Mm-hmm. How did you find it the first time, or is it there is nothing else holding it together? I think there is nothing else holding it together. <clears throat> second time, I could just relax and kind of. No. One minute, the, it looks like the Sydney Opera House, next minute is. Garden of Eden, next minute it's Aliens, next minute it's Planet of the Apes, and so on. I quite enjoyed that. I quite like some pessimistic uh, Beckettian lines. I particularly liked 
Um, the mist, this mist is highly toxic, and when it clears, the direct sunlight is worse. Yes! <laughs> I loved that! <laughs> and they've already, they've sort of crashed into a sort of happy days hump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So there's a little, I thought, yeah, some of the detail of the script writing and of things that people say was actually quite good. I mean, it's also actually, I generally find it quite moving, a line like, um, it's not that aliens going to kill me, it's worrying about you, Ryan. Like, that was that hit home. Yeah. <laughs> What you were saying about it being a car crash, I could feel the writer kept trying to escalate the stakes, mm. but almost like this weird sort of meta, I don't know, um, fear that the episode wasn't exciting enough because they were at a resort, layered onto this idea that no, it can be exciting because actually there's all of this danger lurking every time. I was thinking when I was watching this episode how the Doctor is the kind of character that would mean every thriller, psychological, sci-fi action film wouldn't happen because the Doctor is always there getting in the way of this these kind of huge set pieces of death and destruction. Every time that the, the episode reached towards a classic sci-fi scene, the Doctor would just be there saving everyone or talking someone down or negotiating. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think that it's just something that I really noticed in this. Why Doctor Who could never really do those big showy... It can reference sci-fi, but it can't quite encapsulate I, I think they were really trying to force the emotions on as well, with, as you said, with love. Like, these two people who just met, and they already have a special thing, sucking the thumbs. Like, and it's weird. A, it's a sim like a <laughs> <laughs> so they've got, they've got sort of this frenetic, compulsive need to sort of escalate the stakes, and uh, simultaneously the Doctor has to be sort of uh, taking a lot of time, spending a lot of time de-escalating. Yeah. You go from... Oh, we're in tranquility to we're on orphan 55 which means a lot of things to we're on earth um, and you're, you're trying to negotiate all of these um, uh, different relationships and uh, individual stories while people are getting picked off mm. uh, difficult yeah where's Maud? snap hammer Silas snap hammer won't fix that you want a crash wrench oi you're not a mechanic you're a child. Now pass me the snap hammer. I felt like Silas and Silas's dad were a callback to earlier Doctor Who worlds. I feel like the clever child um, is kind of like a character from the old series of Doctor Who. Bit of a Wesley, wasn't he? Now mm. I'm going to be referencing Star Trek. Star Trek, mm. crossover. Yeah, Shut yeah, up, clever, Wesley. <laughs> clever, <laughs> clever child. Be smarter than what made you, the Doctor says to um, the dreg that oh, yeah. she's imprisoned. Um, the imprisoning of a dreg was too brief to be deeply worrying, but it essentially references um, like the second or third the third alien film. Do you mean the alien resurrection? Yeah, maybe resurrection. Mm -hmm. But also loads of zombie films in which like the point is to try to experiment on caged zombies. Yeah. Resident and Evil extinction. Yes. Yeah, there's horrible like kind of um, racial kind of coding going on. So we get that here really briefly. It's the idea that the, the humanoid-looking people, like Kane, Bella, Trixabel, and uh, Vorm, what a name, <laughs> just say. Like, they, they really, someone in the Doctor Who team really Benny. likes that word. <laughs> and then <laughs> Vorm in the last episode, just Vorm here, they're like, I really like that, can we always have that? Oh yeah, like, are they meant to be one of related to the generations of elite humans who were shipped off world for their own safety. That's what I was thinking or about. Or are they, but often in Doctor Who, they look, you know, just like Time Lords look human, but mm. actually aren't, or are they actually just meant to be? You know, I just wondered. Mm. 
good question. Yes. It makes Bella exploding, uh, you know, the, the the thing with her poorly under underdeveloped anarchist tendency. But also, she's not just blowing it up for any particular reason other than her mum didn't come to a birthday party. Uh, like it was what a brat! Like, well, seriously, I mean, come on. Trixabel. Oh. And she gave me the name Trixabel. Maybe, um, following on from last week's episode, my hastily sketched out sort of base and superstructure of libidinal relations thing, um, we can't see um, their uh, individual character dilemmas worked out in any other way than some kind of Oedipal uh, patriarchal context, and so we can't see them as anything other than uh, civilised humans. Um, orphan 55 is an orphan planet, which implies that the sentient civilised species were parents to that planet. Um, Although the Doctor clarifies that it means that there was this absentee escapee ruling elite that have signed away responsibility. Happens more than you think, she yeah, says. 55 times. And again, I would say that yes, because the, um, because the show can't see um, outside of those productive relations that it's locked into, and it can't investigate those questions, any other way. Well, I think the bit where they nearly, they're about to shoot each other, the mum and daughter, that's the bit where you think something real was, and horrible was happening, and then the doctor jumps in and says, well, whoa there, we can't be pointing We're guns British. at We're British! Yeah, we can't be pointing guns at us. Well, are they? Did it make you want to do more recycling and offset your car? <laughs> you have this line which could have been written, it comes straight out of the Greta Thunberg playbook, it could have been written by Bono and signed <laughs> off by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and co-sponsored by various estranged friends of Jeffrey Epstein and sponsored by the IMF uh, slash the World Economic Forum. I mean, that is the line that, you know, that we're supposed to associate with this quasi-movement. I needn't, I needn't name it. That, it's, uh, that act as if your house is on fire. It's preparing the public for the, um, the emergency mode, whatever it is. Green austerity, eco-fascism, the Green New Deal, the, the saving the world, i.e. saving capitalism, through some economic technological fix that involves unlocking various forms of capital that are tied up in, um, in uh, nation states at the moment. I think it's always that question is that like oh if we could travel through time and a character such as the doctor with these millennia of ex well maybe millennia, millennia of experience could the doctor no what is climate crisis to the doctor is it just a thing that that she's seen they've seen so often that it barely registers yeah she says it's not a fixed timeline which I'd like to yeah talk a bit about at some point um, but yeah, taken to an absurd degree, the, the, the dregs could be seen as a cipher for the, the sort of generation who are supposed to be watching the show now as children or, or whatever comes after them, if anything, maybe. Does it mean there is a lot of bad parenting in the, in the episode, and I guess that's the main very clumsy metaphor. Yes. That, like, stu bad stewardship. Well, Silas, yes, this is a bad little button. I wonder if sort of precocious... Little Silas might 
stand in for a fantasy of sort of closing this gap between society and the technology that it depends on. Right. So the, the imagined scenario that instead of an ever-growing kind of specialisation and alienation, we might somehow reverse that process um, and thereby reverse our own doomed yeah. future. Because Silas understands the Doctor, Silas understands the technology almost intuitively mm-hmm. around him and his dad talks him down. Um, yeah, and that is also a sci-fi trope, the wise, intuitive child. And yet, the the kind of uh, motto or, or um, um, moral of the show is that you were all arguing about the washing up while the house was on fire, which is precisely the line of, you know, the current movement, which is which does not contain a critique of technology or any kind of uh, hope for relating otherwise to um, technology, as far as I can tell, it readily embraces, um, I mean, what, one minute, one need only ask what is meant by the environment that we're supposed to save, you know, that we're supposed to live in, you know, is it, is it not somewhere where we are wholly alienated from, you know, the consequences of our capacities and our tools, there's a sort of growing gap between capacities and their consequences, actions and their representation. It just seemed so strained, like there was so little thought put into this subject and what they were actually really trying to do. It just seemed like a very kind of thin bit of rhetoric that didn't really have any substance. Because despite the fact that like in this universe, the Doctor should have incredible insight into how mm. this could be changed or stopped or how many times this has been done and then, and then yeah and then she she was she acted as if she was just frustrated with the sort of backwardness and awkwardness of humans in this situation but they'll probably sort it out if they just sort of choose the morally bet like literally be better which of course is like a meaningless concept of being better face facts apparently yeah yeah which I'm sure her TARDIS is uh, like a hybrid or something though <laughs> so I guess the idea that like the elite left the planet, which again is like we see over and over, some kind of capitalist elite left the planet, presumably to then reproduce capitalism somewhere else on another planet, and they'll, you know, the top one percent will suddenly slowly find ways to differentiate capitalists and workers yet again, mm. leaving who left on the planet, the kind of the lumpen proletariat or just a certain bottom 25% or something who couldn't afford to enter the ship or the, you know, in, in reality the 99%. So at best, th- there's an echo of kind of Occupy politics here, with the idea that like the 99% needed to do something like perhaps violently attack the 1%. If we forget about the 1% who zoomed off the planet, for us, capitalism needs the Earth to survive because at the moment it can't exist anywhere else. and we all need the earth to survive because we're living here and it's the only place that we are so it's a double bind have you read uh, have you read the pamphlet desert by anonymous um yes i have (laughs) the doctor says oh it's not a fixed timeline so you can act now and face the facts and and listen to the scientists the pamphlet explores how the 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 world doesn't sort of have a, a singular future it can't be saved and this kind of addressing that particularly to people who think that some kind of total revolution against the state and capitalism is necessary or possible or like our only hope and um, so it, it's instead it's sort of 
suggests that control might might just retreat from some areas and concentrate itself in other areas and those areas that are abandoned become deserts but deserts are also places where life blooms in a certain way mm. um, but pointedly it, it implies sort of developing sensitivities and capacities and connections of that would allow you to to thrive there in some way and those are precisely the sensitivities that are totally nullified by the by the fucking act as if your house is on fire yeah. ideology and by the way speaking of arguing about the dishes I, I wrote a little list of places where people are not arguing over the <laughs> dishes right now Lebanon Algeria Iran Iraq Sudan Morocco Egypt Haiti Chile France Hong Kong humans I think you forget how powerful you are lives change worlds yeah so this idea of like a kind of unified global solidarity that needs to be mobilized is also that can only be a capitalist solidarity because only capitalism that unifies everyone through supply routes and through a global system of equivalence and there was a feeling of that kind of diplomacy and with the doctor as well making the analogy of we need oxygen you need carbon dioxide i mean it's a bit basic but i feel like a more interesting slant on the dregs would have been that they would have felt more about their plight and their, or like, like the idea of who gets left behind on earth and what they become, like that in itself is an interesting idea, but they just get turned in this completely one-dimensional, angry horde of bad angry. So um, we haven't come on to the subject of the uh, DNA filter. That's <laughs> the DNA filter? That this sense of parks of the mind. Well, the DNA filter as in at one point in the plot, easily lost to a viewer if you're tr struggling to keep up, is that the Doctor stops the dregs from attacking all of the important characters near the start by setting up a... Oh, the membrane. The membrane which literally <laughs> will force anyone who is not of a certain, who knows what DNA she typed in. Mm. My pals. Mm. Um, okay. <laughs> you had something to say about Yaz. Oh, Yaz, oh yes, let me repeat this as if I didn't think of it before. Yaz, <laughs> the constant family liaison officer. <laughs> <laughs> because, and, and it's such a shame because, because I actually did want in the first series, I did, she was the one who said, I want more of the universe, more time with you, and it was gay. But but she she doesn't seem to want more of the universe. She seems happy to just do her job. She's like been assigned a shift on every planet of this. Yeah, she was and she's happy to do it. Pacifying that old woman, yeah. isn't she? I think the important thing is, do they get a refund? Mm. <laughs> that big tail at the start, that was a lull. Yeah, what was Probably. that? It was like a tentacle of a mm. big other thing. I mean, I read it, a t a credit to whoever tweeted it, but someone who was just like, where they just started the episode with them mopping up alien cum. Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But like, sorry, I didn't know it was there. Makes you like the whole episode more. I think, I think be, for me, the the greatest takeaway was like, beware the coming fakeication of <laughs> or fakeationification of <laughs> of planet Earth. <laughs> yeah. But the flimsiness of the the fakeation was was like yeah, like pre preempted itself in that way that sometimes slightly bad TV does is that well like, we're going to dismiss this as a concept soon so we're not even going to put much stock into making it seem 
<laughs> it's a shame that they didn't do uh, more <laughs> with uh, Laura Fraser as well. Like, she's quite an actor, you know, if anyone has, doesn't heard of her. She was in lip service. Um, she played a great she was in, Yeah, she was in uh, Breaking Bad as well as Kevin and Perry. Uh, the large. Kevin Go Large, yeah. And yeah, and what did she really get to do here? I mean, shoot some lasers and that's about <laughs> it. You can't build an ionic membrane from scratch. If I had crayons and half a can of spam, I could build you from scratch. Now, out of my way. So, in conclusion, um, I am, um, they're bumping up against the edge of the world, I felt like we've bumped up against the edge of the episode. I'm going to call myself Monet55 from now. 50? Mm. As a reference to this. Mm. Bye. <laughs> He's alive, we know where he is. He's moving at 37 clicks an hour. That doesn't sound like my bad name.